What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today's episode is entitled The Top 13 New Rich Mistakes. And this is a total shout out to Tim Ferriss. When I was in law school, oh man, I went to law school from 2010, 2009 fall until 2012 spring when I graduated. I went down to Florida. I was living in New York City. I was going to school up in Ithaca for law school. And a friend of mine sent me this book. I was in Florida visiting my grandma with my mom and my brother. And I had my law textbooks out and I was all in on being a lawyer. My parents are both lawyers. My grandfather was a lawyer. And my friend Jason, I'll never forget Jason Kruger. He was in my fraternity at Cornell. We were really good friends. And he called me up and he said, dude, you got to check out this book. And I said, what book? And he said, the four hour work week. It's this book by this guy, Tim Ferriss. You're going to love it. And one of the things that Jason and I, Jason and I clicked on when we were at Cornell together undergrad was this alternative lifestyle. He was very innovative. He was an engineering student. We were very outside the box thinkers, both of us. And so when he read this book, he immediately thought of me, called me up. And now I read this book, which is all about how to quit your day job, start your own passion business, delegate the majority of the sales, marketing, fulfillment, so that you can work four hours a week and do it from anywhere in the world. And that concept just immediately shook me up in a good way because somewhere deep down, I had always wanted to have control over my life. I didn't want to have a boss. I didn't want to have to go to the same desk every day. And with the emergence of the internet and technology and online businesses, I, in the back of my mind, thought maybe one day this would be my calling. But anyway, I read the book, totally lights me up. And I have this obvious inner conflict of, do I finish law school? And how would my family think if I dropped out? Uh, long story short, I did finish law school. I did work in finance for a number of years before starting my coaching business and this podcast, obviously. But following this book and just sort of the philosophy behind it, because some people have said, oh, the book doesn't really give you exactly your own business plan. And I think, well, that shouldn't be this book's job to give you your exact business plan. It more planted a seed in my mind of, hey, there's a different way to live your life. Because it's funny, when I moved to San Diego from New York after being in Manhattan for 10 years, and a lot of people out here, oh, why did you move to California? Or what brought you out here work? There was something about that question that I kept getting that almost implied that work chooses you or work gets to dictate how I live. And people just assumed, oh, this guy must have gotten a job that brought him out here or work told him that he had to transfer here. 
And I thought it was really empowering to say, no, I have this business. And I decided during COVID when I wasn't going outside in New York anyway, that, hey, maybe this is a time to reposition and think about where I would love to live and do what makes me happy the most. And that was the genesis of my move was, okay, what has the best weather? Because I really like warm weather. What has surf? Because I really wanted to get into surfing. And that's why I moved out here. And so the philosophy behind the four-hour work week is really, to me, about empowerment, taking control of your life, of your destiny, and being able to live this type of life that where you can obviously grow and contribute and give back and have a meaningful life, but also find fulfillment and joy in the process as well. So anyway, the title of this episode is the top 13 new rich mistakes. And the reason I wanted to do an episode on this is because Tim talks about in the book, the old rich versus the new rich. He basically describes the old rich as kind of like old money, uh, you know, whether it's the inheritance or the work on Wall Street or work as a corporate lawyer or vice president in a company, and you save up all your money for decades and decades. And then eventually you're 75 and you can go retire and then have fun with your life. And he basically says, that's the old rich. The new rich is you set up the life that you want now. You obviously contribute, you earn, you build a business, you make money, you pay taxes, you do all that, but you do it in a way where you outsource and delegate a lot of your work and you run it from anywhere in the world. So the travel happens now. So old rich is a lot of money, work hard, sacrifice, dedication versus new rich is contributing, giving back, paying into the tax system, all that stuff and enjoyment and fulfillment of life in tandem with that. And so he talks about these things like taking mini retirements and taking your sabbaticals and working remotely. And that appealed to me too, because I didn't want to be in the old rich. I wanted to be in the new rich. Because the new rich, really, you enjoy your life. You get to have experiences and travel and fun along the way. And it's not like there's this point 50 years down the road where you finally arrive and then you can enjoy yourself. And I remember when I was living in New York City, they had these tour buses uh, right around the corner from me. It was some kind of office or home base for this travel agency where uh, people from China would come. And they would come and I would see these people in their 70s and 80s and even 90s with the walking sticks and the canes, uh, visiting New York, possibly for the first time, possibly because they're retired now. And I always said, I don't want to wait until I'm in my eighties to visit China. And so I actually went in 2015, uh, for the first time to Beijing and Hong Kong. So that's kind of old rich versus new rich. And anyway, this is also, uh, an episode that's near and dear to my heart because as many of you know, I worked in finance and then I said, you know what, I quit. I'm going to do this passion coaching business. But then as you pursue what you love and if you're driven and have a big work ethic and want to impact a lot of people, then you get into this world of coaches and consultants and internet entrepreneurs and online business owners and Facebook ads and all this stuff, click funnels and Tony Robbins. And then you get into this world. And what happened for me was I got sucked in a little bit and I started to make more money and I started to say, whoa part of why I did this whole thing was because I wanted to enjoy my life and have the four hour work week. And I personally found myself having similar work hours as to when I worked in finance, similar monetary desires, 
finding myself having feelings of greed and a desire for money and idolizing money and thinking the more money I had, either the better I would be, the happier I'd be, the more secure I would feel. And so the other reason why I'm doing this episode is not only to encourage you guys to think about a different way of living and maybe inviting a four-hour work week into your life potentially, but also if you've already taken that step and you're kind of on the other side of having your own business or having your own life, this list is a really good reminder that the, you can still make mistakes even when you join the new rich, or you can still kind of get in that success and money loop or trap, kind of find a rat race within your new passion business, which is something that happened to me a little bit. And so anyway, here's a li- I have a list here of from four hour work week of the top 13 new rich mistakes. And I'm going to talk about them before we get into that though, right on this page, chapter 16, there are two quotes. And I want to talk about the first one, which is if you don't make mistakes, you're not working hard on hard enough problems. And that's a big mistake. And it's by Frank Wilsack a 2004 Nobel prize winner in physics. I'm not sure if it's Wilsack or Wilczek, but it's a great quote because I've made way more mistakes since leaving finance and doing my own business than I did before. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're making mistakes, use those as opportunities for growth and learn from them and congratulate yourself. Because if you're making mistakes, you're putting yourself in new situations, you're failing, you want to fail fast, you want to learn from that. But if you're sitting here saying, oh, I haven't made any mistakes in the last year, you're not challenging yourself. You're not getting outside your comfort zone. You're not pushing into new problems. And as this guy, Frank Wilsack would say, and that's a big mistake. Now, the other quote is from Articolo 31, which is an Italian rap group. I know Tim Ferriss likes his international music. And it says, Oh, imparato, I have learned que niente es imposible, that nothing is impossible, e anche que casi niente es facile, and that almost nothing is easy. So the quote is, I've learned that nothing is impossible and that almost nothing is easy. And so that's also an interesting quote that, yes, you can do anything, but it's also going to take work and there are going to be mistakes along the way. So let's get into it the top 13 new rich mistakes. Number one, let's pull it up right here. Losing sight of dreams and falling into work for work's sake. And he calls that W4W. And I think he has that kind of as a thing throughout the book, just an acronym. So He says, please reread the introduction and the next chapter of this book. Whenever you feel yourself falling into this trap, everyone does it, but many get stuck and never get out. And the last chapter looks like it has a poem in here. And he has a quote from Seneca, one of the Stoics. So just thinking about what is your dream? And then once you take that step and you're, let's say you're in the new rich or you have this passion business. Are you working because it's helping you automate, delegate, create more fulfillment in your life? Or are you kind of filling a void of, oh, well, I should go have fun. I should go challenge myself to do something personally. I should go get into that relationship or call up my friends, but I'm going to play it safe or I'm going to distract myself with work for work's sake. 
So that is number one and making sure that you stay focused on your dreams. And that's why it's really important to always take a step back. I like to do this on the weekends or at least once a month, filling out a wheel of life and looking at each category and making sure that they're in balance, friends, family, health, love, relationships, spirituality, gym, money, finances, career. Yeah, those are part of it, but those are only a couple parts of the wheel and you want that wheel to be in balance. The second top, the number two of the top 13 new rich mistakes, micromanaging and emailing to fill time, set the responsibilities, problem scenarios, and rules, and limits of autonomous decision-making, then stop for the sanity of everyone involved. Now, I'm going to tell you about my accountant, my CPA. He's a great guy. And I'm going to try to even pull up an email from him if I can, because he has the funniest email signature. If I can find this, he he's very anti-email. That's, that's kind of the short thing here. And what he does is in his email, yeah, here it is. This is so good. So Brian is kind of an old school guy, not old, but old school. He's probably in his forties or fifties. And he, <laughs> I used to email him constantly and I could tell he was getting frustrated. And so I asked him about it. He said, Brandon, just call me, pick up the phone. And he is really responsive on the phone. And we have these great conversations where he answers all my tax questions. He does my personal, he does my business taxes and in the bottom. So he writes this email and then he's got his signature with his address and his phone number and even a fax number. And then underneath that, there's a space. And then there's another line and it's bolded, underlined, and italicized and says, please note, one phone call is worth 20 emails. And it's funny too, because I coach a lot of different people on a lot of different things, but one of my niches, one of the areas where people, I noticed a pattern of they started coming to me. And so we built out a group program around this is Coach Academy, which is for the, all the coaches out there who want to build their coaching business. And basically we help coaches get clients. That's kind of the program. My philosophy is let's get more people coached, get the world a better place, and let's empower coaches with the sales and marketing skills that they need so they can get clients and just focus back on coaching and not uh, worrying about how they're going to get clients. And one of the big things I teach in that program is helping people get more comfortable with the phone and with Zoom and with in-person interactions. And we really encourage them not to do any sales, persuasion, any of that on text or email. And that was very fruitful for me as I built my coaching practice and it, it pays off for the clients I see that take action there. But it's just funny because Brian, oh my goodness, he is such a phone guy, not an email guy. And I would encourage you guys to do that too, is every time you're thinking about responding to an email, ask yourself, should I actually be deleting this email? Is, is this something I should even be taking action on? Is this something I should be taking action on? And if so, would a phone call save 50 back and forth. And so number two of the top 13 new rich mistakes is micromanaging and emailing to fill the time. If you make a dedication and decision to say, I'm going to spend my day first, always going to the gym, second, doing this third, hanging out with friends, whatever it is, fourth, doing some work, logging out of your email inbox and only logging in at certain times, you're going to probably find a great reduction in stress and frustration and wasted time. Number three. All right. Number three. One sec. We have 
handling problems your outsourcers, your outsourcers or coworkers can handle. And that is so good. One of the things I've learned by having a virtual assistant in the Philippines is, and I've also had executive assistants and virtual assistants here in the US too, is that so many of my problems, so many of my scheduling thing, like the logistics of scheduling appointments, so many emails can be outsourced to someone for $10 an hour, $5 an hour, $20 an hour. And I would really encourage you guys, and this can be any, you don't have to have your own business to get a personal or virtual assistant. That's a limiting belief right there. Oh, but Brendan, I don't have my own business. I'm not a big wealthy CEO. I can't get someone to help me. I totally disagree with that. If you go online, you can go on upwork.com. There's onlinejobs.ph. There's all these different agencies out there. You can literally get someone, you can get a full-time assistant in the Philippines for $500 a month. You could get a part-time person to work 10 hours a week for you for $200 a month. I mean, we're, we're not, or per week in that example. But the point is, I remember this. I think this is also in four-hour work week because a lot of people say, oh, I don't know what I would, uh, what would I ever outsource anyway? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. And then, so they don't, like when I tell people to do this, they say, oh, I couldn't even, where would I even start? I don't really think there's much to outsource. And then they go and they sit there at the desk with their neck cranked because they don't have their great glasses on and their shoulders are all uptight and they sit there for 10 hours on emails and then they start getting fat and depressed. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't know what to outsource. You just spent your whole day doing stuff that could have been outsourced. I literally know CEOs of retail stores and they have seven figure businesses and they're in the back packing boxes for people. I know people Oh my God. I mean, and I'm guilty of this too. Like I could be outsourcing more for sure. So when I say number three is, or what Tim says, handling problems your outsourcers or coworkers can handle, really take a hard look at everything you're doing and what could you be delegating? And if you don't have someone, this was what I was going to say. It's really empowering. And I think this is in the book too, where Tim says, go online, go on uh, fiverr.com with two R's, or which by the way, got its name from everything on there cost $5. So, oh, I don't have a budget for a personal assistant. Really? You don't have $5. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Go get $5. And if you don't have it, go ask your friends or family for $5. You can borrow and go on fiverr.com and do a sample, just find something or come up with one idea. Like for example, maybe you're planning a trip somewhere and you have to do some research on mapping it out or Maybe, uh, you know, again, it could be an email inbox thing, but pick one specific task that might take, say, an hour and go on Upwork or go on Fiverr and find someone and have them do that, not to save you time, because frankly, that will actually take you more time than doing it because of the setup costs of identifying someone. Obviously, the setup costs go away and it becomes much more time efficient once you have someone identified that you're consistently working with. But the The purpose of this specific example I'm giving is absolutely not to save time. It's to feel the empowerment and the get over the deserving complex. Cause that's another thing that people have. They say, Oh, I, I couldn't even think of anything to delegate or I really don't need help that badly. But what they're really saying is, um, and I shouldn't laugh. It's, I don't deserve to have someone to help me here. Or I, um, I'm afraid, or, you know, it's a fear of failure, fear of success. It's something else that is that 
block from just doing something really powerful of getting that first rep of delegating something to someone and saying, wow, you can, you know, for some people to control and a trust thing. And I've certainly experienced that, especially when it came to sales for prospects who were interested in our coaching to hand over these very valuable prospects that could be paying us thousands of dollars to someone on my team. And that came with trust and letting go for sure for me. But I would encourage everyone to go think of one thing that you could outsource or delegate just to get that example and that feeling of what that's like. And for those who already have that, um, you already have a VA or an executive assistant or something, I would encourage you to really look at what's on your to-do list and ask yourself on every item, could I hand any of these over? Number four, helping outsourcers or coworkers with the same problem more than once or with non-crisis problems. Give them if-then rules for solving all but the largest problems. Give them the freedom to act without your input, set the limits in writing, and then emphasize in writing that you will not respond to help with problems that are covered by these rules. In my particular case, all outsourcers have at their discretion the ability to fix any problem that will cost less than $400. At the end of each month or quarter, depending on the outsourcer, I will review how their decisions affected profit and adjust the rules accordingly, often adding new rules based on their good decisions and creative solutions. So this to me kind of says, help your outsourcers with really clean SOPs and give them some rope. So let's start with the SOPs, a statement of process or operations with, you know, and this is for people who have either direct reports, people who work under them, assistants, virtual assistants, et cetera. As I've been building my business, having SOPs is critical. It's so helpful because first of all, let's say you get an assistant, there's a chance that they're going to leave at some point. You're not going to work with them for 70 years. Occasionally you find that level of loyalty and perfect fit where they're going to be around for decades. But especially in this nomadic digital world where people are constantly hopping around to new jobs, training can be very time consuming. And again, if you're going to be outsourcing anything in your life, you want to put together repeatable, recorded, either video and audio or just written SOPs to help your team understand what they need to do without you having to do a ton of training. This is something that we have in our organization down to the level of like the website where we order. It's a drop shipping website for our merch. Like we have hoodies and hats and t-shirts for the Brendan Burns show. And we have a video, an tr internal training video on how to go to the website, how to log in, how to pick the right color, how to order it, how to check out, how to use my card, et cetera. So, and I've had a number of people that I've worked with over the last couple of years. We had um, a virtual assistant, a social media manager, an executive assistant, a new virtual assistant. And every time I connect with someone or we do a hoodie giveaway or something, I say, oh, here, just send uh, a white double XL hoodie to this address. And then they would say, oh, well, how do I know how to do that? And I just sent them the link to the training video and that's it. And so having those SOPs, one of the things you might want to consider, especially if you're in the position where you have some level of a budget and you see recurring tasks, is to start to write that out and really with good if-then rules. And I do this too, for example, if someone reaches out to us and wants coaching or group coaching from me or someone on the team, we have a really clear SOP with if-then rules. So it says if um, they share their calendar link, then this is how to do it. If we share ours, 
this is how you go into my calendar and then add our sales rep and how to add it to the tracking sheet. If they suggest a time, then you go look at our sales reps availabilities. And then if, if there is a fit, then you book it and you do this. And if there's not a fit, then you message our sales rep in Slack, asking them for an exception, if they could cover a call at this time. So you want to get really detailed if you can with these SOPs, because that will help your outsourcers and coworkers handle, um, handle these problems and, or not problems, but you know, thing, whatever work that you're delegating. And then the second thing it looks like Tim's getting at here is you do want to give them some rope. And that's a, always a fine line between trust and, uh, you know, it's the wrong person. So you want to be careful of that. That's one thing I've learned is I thought I wasn't trusting. And so I really pushed into, okay, I got to really trust these people. And then a lot of mistakes started happening. And so I had to say, okay, well, there's a difference between trusting in a healthy way and letting go for the right reasons. And handing responsibility to the wrong person who is making mistakes over and over again, which either means I need to train and lead them better or that they're just not the right fit. And so, uh, but in the beginning, for sure, especially with clear SOPs, you do want to give them some rope. And so Tim says, all outsourcers have at their discretion, the ability to fix any problem that will cost less than $400. So I know that he used to have a gym and I think it was a fitness protein powder company type thing like supplement business. So if I had to guess, I would guess that if there was like a customer service complaint or an issue with shipping or some product mix up, and if it costs less than $400 to get a new product out or reship or do something like that, it sounds like he empowered his back office to make that, uh, make that right without even having to talk to Tim about it. So it's like anything under $400, you have approval to go do. So I, I like that, you know, when it's going to, because you also want to value your time and say, well, if hopping on a call and walking through this whole situation with someone from my team is going to take an hour, it's probably in my best interest to just give them more rope there. And then obviously it looks like at the end of each month or quarter, he's assessing how that went. All right. Number five. And I love this one. Chasing customers, particularly unqualified or international prospects when you have sufficient cash flow to finance your non-financial pursuits. Oh my goodness. I saw this last year, but then I saw it again this year and I'm reading it again now. And it is such a good reminder, especially for coaches, consultants, agency owners, business owners, trainers, anyone like that. Stop chasing that, those worst unqualified prospects, literally, and, and not even chasing, but stop even engaging with someone who is continuing to like test you and they won't actually sign up, but they keep pinging you with these emails left and right. And oh man, that like this past week was really big for me with that, where I had to cut loose about a hundred thousand dollars worth of business opportunity, at least 50 to hundred, uh, that I just knew was going to be a waste of energy. And yes, maybe had I really hounded all eight of those people or whatever, um, and called them and texted them and emailed them that maybe I would have squeezed out like one new client, but to take all that energy and just say, I'm, the week's over, or I'm not going to put that there. I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to surf. I'm going to go to the gym. And next week I'm going to take all that energy and I'm going to charge it hard on all my new clients and prospect prospective clients and prospects next week to see who's really a good fit for me and press in and enroll those people oh my God, that's going to have like a 10X ROI. So just an example was I had a guy who wanted to work with me and uh, 
yeah, we had our, we had a number of calls, including an enrollment call where he wanted to negotiate and think about it. And then, uh, I said, great, when you're ready to sign up, just let me know. And he went away for a week and then he emailed me some kind of update with his company company. And, uh, oh man, how I used to handle that in the past. I, I couldn't even tell you, I probably would have called him and wrote him a long email and kind of begged him to get on the phone with me. But now it's just like, I said something to the nature of, Hey Dan, uh, glad things are going well. Um, would, would be, you know, open to working together. If you want to hop on an enrollment call, get you signed up. Otherwise I wish you the absolute best and kindly ask that you take me off your distribution list. And then, uh, <laughs> I think before that, that email even went out, cause I use a scheduler for when to send, cause I wanted to even delay that going out. Cause I didn't want to respond right away. Like I don't want to chase these people. That was my last email to him. And I think before that even went out, I got an email from him with his proposal for how much he wants to pay us for coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, it's just no more chasing. Like, and I, and I would encourage you guys to consider this as applied to all areas of your life. And this goes back to another podcast I did in the past called, uh, the right one. And it says like, no matter, and this is more relationships too, like no matter how hard you try to convince, show up in a certain way, do everything right. The wrong person is going to leave you no matter what, like literally you could be perfect, well-spoken, charming, good-looking, wear your best outfit every time, say all the right things, do all the right things. And if it's the wrong person, they're just going to find a way to leave you no matter what. And then it's the opposite is true also, which is if you're uh, messy, misspeaking, having a bad day, overly emotional, show up poorly on a date, you know, inauthentically, whatever, the right person will give you all that grace and the right person will stay no matter how badly you mess it up or try to mess it up. So it's the same thing. I would encourage you all to look at this of chasing customers, particularly unqualified prospects when you have sufficient cash flow. So he is saying, look, if you literally need money and like, cause cash is oxygen as a business owner and, or you really need something, whatever the life situation is, uh, maybe push more, but there's something very powerful in the letting going, the letting go and the surrender and the release the release instead of the chase on the wrong ones, you know, the flakes, the ones who kind of, no matter how hard you chase, they're just going to kind of keep playing this dance with you, you know? So cut those loose, whether it's in a relationship or it's, uh, yeah, in dating or in business, really, really good one. And that just hits me hard too, in a good way, because it's a reminder that when you set healthy boundaries with people, for example, in business, it's like, look, we had a meet and greet. This is our enrollment call. Um, oh, let me think about it. Yeah, you can think about it for sure. But at that point, I'm not going to continue to get on calls or try to coerce or convince or deceive or use guile or any of that. It's like, it's just like a, it's like a boilerplate email of like, Hey, we've had our conversations. Um, you know exactly what's involved in our services. Um, please limit any additional follow-up unless you would like to um, get on a call. And I don't say this, but this is my tone is like, please don't respond unless you want to get on a phone call where we process your credit card payment and enroll you in our program. Otherwise we wish you the absolute best. And there are obviously situations where people get sick or some life situation happens and they need to catch up or ask about a different program. But boundaries is really important because when you set that boundary, you're definitely going to lose a lot of business. Like you're going to, people are going to say, oh, I 
how like I had a woman say to me once, um, I said, look, we've spoken a number of times. This is your opportunity to either sign up and move forward, or I wish you the best. And she was like, yeah, I just can't. I don't think I can. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Um, if you change your mind, just reach out. She said, okay. And she was kind of sad that I wasn't, wasn't like begging her more. Um, but I just made that decision that I wasn't going to be that type of person and how I ran my business. And so I hang up and then she sent me this long uh, text message about how rude I was, how impersonal I treated her. And uh, it's funny because now that wouldn't affect me because I know with, you know, I'm secure in myself and in what I did that that was a healthy decision and set a healthy boundary. But at the time that was new for me. And I showed the message to a lot of friends. And, and this is also why it's good to have like really good mentors and advisors in your life. And <laughs> most of them would just laugh when they saw the message. And uh, yeah. So anyway, that's just a good shift I made in my business. So I would encourage you guys to do that as well. If you're not already, or if you are like me, it still was a good reminder for me to always continue to see that. Number six, this is great. Answering an email that will not result in a sale or that can be answered by an FAQ page or an autoresponder. And I love this because uh, <laughs> this kind of invo invokes in me uh, the 80-20 the rule of 80% of our results come from 20% of our action, our best actions, and 80% of our problems come from our 20% worst clients and our 20%, you know, it's like, it's, you can really apply that framework to a lot of different things, but it's like always looking at, emails from the vantage point of what is this really going to do? Is this going to serve? Is this going to convert into a sale? Like if it's not, or it can be answered by some kind of FAQ page, do that. And that's just something I did when I used to sell online courses is we had a virtual assistant in the Philippines and an FAQ email database. So typically the biggest emails we were getting are, um, I signed up on the payment plan. Do I have access to the whole course? How do I log in? I can't find my password. Um, do I have lifetime access? When can I get my one-on-one -on -one call? Because that course I was selling with one call with me personally years ago. And all, it was like the, again, you apply the 80-20 rule right now, which was like 80% of the emails were the same 20% of the questions. And it was probably more like 90-10. So that was a really good FAQ database that we had. So our VA would just find the question and write it back. And then in the rare cases of a new question, I would direct her on how to handle it. And then if it was, a, a, we would keep getting the same new question, we would add that to the database too. But the other thing that this reminds me of is there's a quote, I wish I remembered it. It's, I think it's something along the lines of, uh, don't say yes to something unless it gives you uh, money, happiness, or an orgasm, something of that nature, basically, like, unless it's going to result in a sale for your business or, you know, drive your income higher in whatever your career is, unless it's going to be fun and you're going to really enjoy it, it's going to make you happy, something like with a friend or orgasm, obviously something with a relationship, don't do it. And it's just a funny quote, because again, you're sort of filtering out like anything that's not going to further whatever your core goals in life are, just say no to it, walk away. So answering an email that will not result in the sale. I love that. Just having boundaries again around your time. Number seven, 
Working where you live, sleep, or should relax. Separate your environments. Designate a single space for work and solely for work, or you will never be able to escape it. And this is something that I'm still dealing with because I have uh, two computers in my house and I work from home and I have this upstairs podcast studio, but downstairs I have kind of like this little COVID office in my kitchen. And then sometimes I take calls in my living room on the couch. And so it definitely hurts me. And it's something I'm actively working on is how can I make more of a separate environment? I think that's really critical. Even last night, I went out, I drove up north a little bit in San Diego and North County and just disconnected from everything. I got out of the house, away from computers, because sometimes like my computer is a combination of leisure and work. And one cool thing too is like my ups, first of all, I never take my personal phone into the upstairs of my house really ever. And it's funny because I actually have it right here. I take it into my podcast studio during working hours when I'm recording a podcast, mostly just to charge my phone. But like in the evenings, I will never, my phone's always downstairs. I plug it into charge. I've never taken it upstairs. I never take calls. I never don't do texts up here. It's extremely rare outside of bringing it into the studio while I'm recording. And that's really helpful. And the other thing too is on my, I have a computer upstairs that's mostly for reading and watching shows and whatnot. And that computer, uh, I went to pop into Slack the other day because I wanted to send my virtual assistant a message and it was logged out and it made me so happy. And so I stay logged out of email and Slack and a lot of those things um, when I'm upstairs too. But just thinking about, you know, working where you live, sleep, or should relax and the best you can do to separate it. I know we still have this kind of post COVID remote world and I'm all about working remotely. So that's fine. But can you work more from a cafe? Can you get a WeWork? Can you do something to kind of get out? Number eight, not performing a thorough 80-20 analysis every two to four weeks for your business and your personal life. And so again, this is the 80-20 rule that I was talking about earlier, um, which is also known as the Pareto principle. And it's essentially, again, just to share it, it's an aphorism that asserts that 80% of outcomes or outputs result from 20% of all causes or inputs for any given event. So in a business, the goal of the 80-20 rules to identify which 20% of your inputs are the most productive, lucrative, rewarding, uh, you know, which 20% is getting you those 80% results and doubling down and focusing there and saying, well, what's not and what can I cut out? So for me, when I did this in my business, I noticed that, um, you know, dialing in relationships and, and meeting a lot of high level people to set up discovery and sales calls. And then ultimately sales, having even the sales team was super helpful to grow my coaching business. So I had a lot of these one-off deals where I would do some one-on-one -on -one coaching. And again, I, I don't think I was good a couple of years ago at saying no to small opportunities, which would then suck up my time from really doubling down on what was going to make me the most impact on people and the best results, which is now running group the group coaching programs that I do. And so it's the same thing in your life. Also, like if you looked at all the things that you do every day, supposedly for fun or for leisure, which few always make you the happiest. And so for me, surfing is one of those things. And while I do enjoy flying airplanes and it's a really neat hobby, and I did spend some time doing that over the past year. And I certainly want to pursue that more at some point. I just realized how much happier surfing made me than flying planes. And so I made the decision in my personal life off of an 80, 20 analysis 
to spend my money and time in a different direction. Um, so yeah, start performing this analysis. Uh, I would say at least once a month on your business and life and adjust how you're living accordingly. Number nine. Oh, this one really hit me hard. When I read this last year during COVID striving for endless perfection rather than great or simply good enough, whether in your personal or professional life, recognize that this is often just another W4W excuse, work for work's sake excuse. Most endeavors are like learning to speak a foreign language. To be correct, 95% of the time in the new language requires about six months of concentrated effort. Whereas to be correct, 98% of the time requires 30, 20 to 30 years. Focus on great for a few things and good enough for the rest. Perfection is a good ideal and direction to have, but recognize it for what it is, an impossible destination. Oh man, oh man, that hit me hard last year when I read that. As a recovering perfectionist who really uh, didn't understand the difference between the 95% and the 98%. And like you can have this incredible business, incredible life, incredible relationship, incredible everything. But if like, look at the difference between six months and 30 years. And if you cut some of that time back and said, look, I'm in a really great place. And this was kind of me last night where it was Friday night and <laughs> I had the voice of my old COO in my head, Anthony <laughs> saying, get in your car and just go do something fun. When I could have like recorded more YouTube ads for my business or written some emails. And I said, no, I'm unplugging everything and I'm just going on an adventure. And his voice was also kept saying, don't plan where you're going, just get in your car and go excuse me. And so I started driving and then I got to the uh, PCH 101 famous California uh, highway. And I just made a right. And I've never really gone up there. And I went up to Oceanside and it was so much fun. And it was so important for me to just get out and, and stop striving for the endless perfection. For example, in that moment with my business and go do something fun. All right. Four more. Blowing number 10, blowing minutiae and small problems out of proportion as an excuse to work. This is a really good point. Know the difference between a problem and a problem. Like understand what's a real problem and what is something small that can be corrected without bringing a lot of emotion into it and just getting it handled. Really helpful. Number 11, making non-time sensitive issues urgent in order to justify work. And he says, how many times do I have to say it? Focus on life outside of your bank accounts, as scary as that void can be in the initial stages. If you cannot find meaning in your life, it is your responsibility as a human being to create it. Whether that is fulfilling dreams or finding work that gives you purpose and self-worth, ideally a combination of both. And I want to say this too, quit working in something that feels safe and gives you certainty and get out there and embrace a little more uncertainty in your life and go find that fulfillment and meaning. It is safe to go find a non-time sensitive work issue and make it a problem and start blowing up people's inboxes and getting frustrated with others when what's really happening is you're frustrated with yourself subconsciously that you're not doing something that makes you happy. And so then other people shouldn't be able to be happy either. Number 12, viewing one product, job, or project as the end-all be-all of your existence. Life is too short to waste, but it's also too long to be a pessimist or nihilist. 
Whatever you're doing now is just a stepping stone to the next project or adventure. Any rut you get into is one you can get yourself out of. Doubts are no more than a signal for action of some type. When in doubt or overwhelmed, take a break in 80-20, both business and personal activities and relationships. I'll just say this on that, which is when you start to get a string of a lot of things going wrong, for example, like Tim said, it calls that a rut. I would encourage you to step away from whatever you feel stuck in, where it's like nothing's going right. I can't get this dialed in because usually it's a sign that you need to step away and contemplate what you're even doing in the first place. Like when I'm in that moment, and this happened to me, it's happened to me a couple of times over the past few weeks where like, you know, you just have that thing that goes wrong and the next thing goes wrong and the next thing goes wrong. And sometimes the reality is you just need a break. And so what's happening is all these things are going wrong. It's kind of like a wake up call, like, Hey, step away from work and go do something fun. Other times it's like a year or two of a rut. And it's like a wake up call that you're not in the right career. That's what your mission or calling is. And that there's something more passionate fulfilling for you, but really just pay attention to those signs. If you're in a string of things like you're just, Oh, boom, boom, like no momentum. Stepping away is always a good first step and just closing the computer and going and doing something else, even for an hour. And then if it continues for like months and months, then it's a look, take a zoom out even more and take a bigger look. All right. Number 13, ignoring the social rewards of life. Surround yourself with smiling, positive people who have absolutely nothing to do with work. I really like this one because in the coaching world, especially if you hang out on Facebook, like some of these people post their incomes, their wins, their celebrations. I mean, I closed this much in business today. And I know it's the same. And like when I used to be a lawyer, like you have the, oh, did you make partner conversations? Which law firm are you working at? Who's working on the best deal? And this is why I very intentionally have so many, so many, so many friends who are like pilots and uh, work for the government and uh, work in home loans and work in uh, software sales. Like all my friends have completely different jobs for me because you want to be around people who are in your life that have absolutely nothing to do with work. Because if you socially hang out with people who have the same job as you, of course, how's work? Good. How's work? And it's not a bad thing to be talking about work. But if you're talking about work with all these people who do the same thing as you, it's going to remind you of a lot of these different stressful situations. You're going to start comparing yourself to them, no matter how hard you try not to. And then Tim says, create your muses alone if you must, but do not live your life alone. Happiness shared in the form of friendship and love is happiness multiplied. And I love how profound that is because Tim wrote this book like decades ago. And, or at least one decade ago. And he's grown significantly as a person. If you listen to his podcast and his personal transformation, it's so true and so profound. When I first started the four hour work week lifestyle and call it 2017, I was traveling. 2018 was really when I started coaching and started the business. I was having a lot of fun. I was traveling, but I was doing a lot of solo travel. And To be fair to me, I didn't know a lot of people in this industry who had the flexibility to kind of work remotely and travel, but I was really doing a lot of life alone and I was very isolated. And I talk about this a lot in my uh, recovery from porn addiction in some of the most recent episodes right before this. So I would really encourage and how 
not being isolated anymore really helped me so much in my life and with my mental health. Happiness shared in the form of friendships and love is happiness multiplied. So yeah, what a great, what a great one to end with here, which is really encouraging you all to see that as rewarding as finding your passion business can be, it's even more rewarding to have that success and also carve out time for fulfillment and to do that with other people. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the list of the top 13 new rich mistakes. I would encourage you to all think about which one or a few of those really hit you the hardest and take down some notes and take some action. Be proactive about what you just heard and make some tweaks. This is a great philosophical conversation, or it can be an actionable list where you can proactively start making some positive changes in your life. All right. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Brendan Burns show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple podcast app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.